Hello and welcome to Forex Focus, the UBP podcast. My name is Peter Kinsella and I'm the Global Head of FX Strategy. Uh, I'm joined today by Megan Green. Uh, Megan is the Global Chief Economist and Senior Fellow at the Musavar Romani Center for Business and Government at Harvard School, Kennedy School. Um, Megan teaches and is also currently writing a book on inequality. Megan is also, amongst her many achievements, um, a senior advisor to the OECD, and she also holds a BA from Princeton and an MSc from Oxford University. So, so I'm in, um, I'm deeply humbled, and I'm in stellar company uh, on today's podcast. So, Megan, thank you very much for joining us today. It's it's really appreciated. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Very, very, very good indeed. Um, we're going to talk basically today about the Fed, its change stance, and, and what you think it means for the dollar and, and kind of global policy. So I, I suppose we'll remind our listeners of, I guess, really what the Fed did at its last meeting in June. So it raised, it basically raised its stop plot, now expecting two rate hikes in 2023. It also raised the interest rate on excess reserves, and it said it would discuss uh, a tapering of its quantitative easing program over the summer. So um, what do you make of this? fairly abrupt shift in the, from the Fed. Um, do you think it's justified and, and what do you think the implications are? Yeah, so the Fed has finally indicated that we won't have conditions that are as easy as possible forever. Um, and I think we had to expect this at some time. And I think that their um, beginning of pulling back is pretty appropriate. If you look at their forecasts, they expect unemployment of four and a half percent by the end of this year. Inflation could end up being around three and a half percent by the end of the year. It's not impossible. And if you wrote those statistics down and handed them to an economist and said, what policy rate should this economy have? I don't think any economist would say zero. Um, I don't think anyone thinks that that would be appropriate. And so I think that the Fed, they've said that they're going to taper their purchases before they hike rates. So I think they have to start thinking about it now in order to address their dual mandate. Um, and, and no one should be particularly surprised by this. The, the real question, though, is what's happening with inflation. Um, and it seems like the Fed itself is a bit split on that. And they sort of represent uh, economists on that front. Um, so it seems some are worried about it being sustained. Many believe that it's more than not believe that it's just transitory. And that's where the rubber is really going to hit the road on this recovery. I thought you had that Kind of very interesting. I mean, certainly the discussion on inflation does seem, I would say, you know, very prescient and, and, and welcome. But I, I guess, you know, following a decade of undershooting inflation, you know, uh, to an extent in the US, but definitely here in, you know, in, in Europe, um, I do wonder is the, sh is the change in stance, do you think that says much about the average inflation targeting framework that the Fed has adopted? Um, it seems a pretty abrupt change all of a sudden, given that. You know, we've only had this policy for kind of a year or, or more. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I think many of us, when the Fed adopted an average inflation targeting regime, many of us sort of laughed and said, well, good luck getting inflation that's above target to offset being so far under target for so long. Um, and now they have this opportunity. Um, I think some investors might think that, you know, the Fed shift suggests they're not as comfortable sitting with inflation that's over the average target of 2%. Um, as many would have hoped. I mean, I think the Fed had no credibility on this front to begin with because we haven't seen much inflation above 2%. Um, and so we still don't know. I mean, I think there's a reputational issue uh, and a credibility issue uh, with this average inflation targeting that the Fed hasn't established. And so I'm not sure why markets would really believe that the Fed is going to follow this anyhow. 
Um, but, you know, there there might be some concern that this beginning of withdrawal of accommodation suggests that the Fed's not that committed to it. Um, that being said, you know, a lot of Fed presidents have been out speaking, saying that they are committed to it. They're not that worried about inflation. I mentioned more than half of the voters in particular suggested that actually they, they think inflation will be transitory. Their forecasts reflect this, so inflation will be higher this year, but then next year and the following year, it should be just above 2%. I think it's 2.1%, nothing to write home about, right? And so, uh, you know, their, their forecast suggests that it will be transient. Market-based inflation expectations suggest investors also, also think it will be transient. The UMichigan Consumer Survey shows that most consumers think inflation will be higher now, and it is higher now. We should all expect that. But that actually five years down the line, it will have dropped right back into the Fed's target range, so around 2%. So I think, uh, you know, overall, you could say that maybe the Fed's withdrawing accommodation too early. But actually, if you fundamentally believe what so many different stakeholders seem to believe, which is that inflation is transitory, um, they probably won't be hiking too soon. And so we don't need to worry about it. Sure. And I, I suppose really, Dan, I mean, you know, if, if we do get this, uh, this rate hike, Certainly, it's it's had an effect on so-called reflation trades, right? Um, you know, if we look at in currency markets, the likes of the Aussie dollar, um, you know, dollar CAD, well, you know, all, all of these big reflation trades, um, they've certainly certainly taken a knock in the last sort of two or three weeks since since the Fed's um, uh, you know policy change, as it were. Um, do you think that's going to continue? Do you think that markets are just going to get used to this, or is it just look, this is kind of a speed bump? in a broader path of sort of dollar depreciation over time? So I actually think it's probably more the latter than anything else. There are good reasons to expect the dollar to appreciate and good reasons to expect it to depreciate, but part of it just depends on your time horizon. And in the short term, the vaccination effort in the U.S. Has, has been pretty successful. Having just come back to the U.S. from Europe, I can say, you know, I went to a baseball game the other day and watched a stranger pass a hot dog down a line of other strangers from the vendor. Um, so it feels like the pandemic kind of never happened here in Boston, at least. Mm -hmm. Not all parts of the U.S. are the same. But activity has really gotten back to normal. So growth growth prospects look better in the U.S. Inflation prospects look um much higher because of the stimulus that may be coming down the pike. Um, and so that should push the dollar up in the short term. But if you look at structural factors like the budget deficit and the current account deficit, um, that should really push the dollar down over the medium to long term. And if, if certainly if we look at, you know, the, the, this twin deficit scenario we have in the state, you've got a deficit in the region now of about 5% of GDP, I guess. Uh, and it's still widening, right? Because the trade trade balance has still has still been uh, has still deteriorated. Um, and we kind of it's hard to put a finger on when that's going to end because this stimulus fiscal stimulus is ongoing, and we're seeing that U.S. consumers are, are you know continuing to import lots and lots of goods. Mm -hmm. So you know with with a current account deficit of five percent of GDP and a budget deficit of 16 percent of GDP, right? I mean this is it's a pretty unprecedented size of uh, of a twin deficit, isn't it? Certainly yeah. outside of wartime. And That's I mean, right, and certainly for the U.S., right? We've seen it in other uh, European countries, for example, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> before the euro <laughs> crisis. But for the U.S., yeah, which is a special case given the role of the, the global reserve currency um, and our deep liquid treasury market, it, it's the first time we've really seen this, you're right. Yeah, and I, I guess really this is, this is a question that I have is in terms of whilst the current account deficit will, will sort itself out one, one way or the other. Yeah. Um, on the budget deficit, do you see any signs of 
I would say uh, a willingness or even a, an understanding that, you know, at some point we have to kind of cl close this budget deficit or get it back to more manageable levels. Yeah, so that would really depend on who you're talking to. Um, the Republicans seem to have rediscovered their fiscal hawkery. Um, what, a, what, what a surprise. <laughs> yeah, right. After a stint in government with um, pretty significant stimulus and, and tax cuts, now they're worried about the deficit. Um, some Democrats are worried about it, too. But for the most part, I'll ha I'd have to say that that's not part of the conversation in the U.S. right now, really, that we should be you know, starting to retrench in the way it is in the U.K., for example, where there's much more talk about tax implications, pension reforms. How are we going to pay for this? Um, the U.S. hasn't gotten really to the how are we going to pay for this part because we're still, A, fighting the virus, I think, um, and, and B, um, trying to figure out uh, how much to spend. That's the real question. Um, so we're not withdrawing accommodation anytime soon. The Biden administration is still fighting to try to get a huge fiscal stimulus through, and, and some of it will end up on the cutting floor, no question, but it, it will be sizable, I think. Um, between the bipartisan piece and, and the piece that the Democrats just shoved through via reconciliation. So, you know, I think we can expect the U.S. to keep the pedal on the metal uh, for a little bit longer. And, and do you think, in, in a sense, you know, um, is this kind of a, a backdoor uh, way of beating so-called mon modern monetary theory, right? You know, is, you know is, is, are we seeing the first sort of, you know, implementation of, so, of MMT in the States? I and mean, what's your view on that? So I think MMT is, is not um, a policy that you implement so much as a way of life. Um, and okay. so you could argue that um, all this spending is a piece of MMT, but that's only one piece of it. Uh, the rest of MMT, which suggests that actually borrowing isn't the constraint, it's inflation that's the constraint, um, that's applicable here. But the final piece is that, you know, it's not the central bank who should address inflation, it's the fiscal authority who should hike and cut taxes in order to address it. That's the piece that we're just not seeing come through. And that's a huge, um, you know, central part of the entire theory of MMT. So I don't think we're seeing MMT be implemented. We're just seeing a new attitude towards um, borrowing into deficits. Uh, there's been work that's come out by my colleagues, Larry Summers and Jason Furman, um, about a year ago now, but looking at how we think about debt, and economists tend to look at debt to GDP, and on that metric, it's really high in the US, but actually that's a stock to a flow, and you never compare you know, apples and oranges that way. You always compare apples to apples, and so if you do that, and look at you know debt to um, to to debt servicing costs. Then actually, um, we're way below where we were right after the global financial crisis, and there's plenty of room to go ahead and spend. So I think there's a fundamentally different way of looking at debt, in particular, um, and that's really hit the economics profession, and that's feeding into this much more than you know everybody adopting this theoretical model called MMT. Okay, cool, cool, cool. excellent. Um, well, that, that's re really a fascinating discussion, and I, I guess we, you know, we could talk about it all day long, but I'm, I'm conscious of time. Um, so, so in a sense, just I'll kind of wrap it up and and, and say, really, there, there are some, in your view at least, there are some, I would say, some modest chances of, of an appreciate dollar appreciation of the dollar in the short term. Um, yeah. You know, for the reasons you've cited on, on growth, etc. But certainly over over the longer term, you you know you think that the dollar is, is going to weaken structurally. Um, do you think the dollar at some point, you know, do we start to question the reserve status of the dollar? Are there viable alternatives? What's what's your view on that? 
Yeah, so I think King Dollar is here to stay um, for my lifetime, roughly. Um, so that's a long time. Uh, and, you know, I think it's partly because of network effects. Everybody does, does business in the dollar. It's hard to kind of dethrone that currency. Um, but I think it's also because, as you point out, the alternatives aren't great. So, um, you know, the euro is only a tiny percentage of global central bank reserves. The renminbi has increased a little bit, but from an incredibly low base. Um, and also, you know, they don't have a freely floating currency. So that's an issue. Um, so I, do, I just don't really see a reasonable alternative to the dollar. Some people say maybe SDR, so kind of a global currency could be. But, but you know, we don't use SDRs in practice. They're sort of an IMF. Um, creation uh, for balance of payment issues. So I, I doubt that that be, will be adopted. The only new invention is kind of a digital currency that, that could come about, but it, we're, you know, we're kind of in the infancy of digital currency still. So I don't see that really threatening the dollar as the global reserve currency. And, and so, you know, as long as the U.S. has the global reserve currency, I think we will continue to enjoy this exorbitant privilege. Um, maybe the U.S. would want to give it up, but I can't imagine why. Yeah, I know. I, I, I quite agree. And, and certainly, I think when it comes to reserve currency status, whilst we look at the hard factors in terms of its usage in, in trade and usage in reserves, I think the soft factors are, are probably just as important. You know, the rule of law, you know, open, deep open capital markets, yeah. reasonably stable, predictable politics, um, although, although that's, that might be questionable these days. But I, I think certainly that, that broadly, are, are, these are, are the things that make a good reserve currency. And, and certainly looking at this unique setup, which is required, I certainly don't see many alternatives in, in, the, in the short to medium term. No, that's right. I think that um, you know the EU or the Euro area rather continues to sort of highlight how what their plan is, how they're attempting <laughs> to dethrone the dollar, um, not in a nefarious way, but just in a, this is how we're trying to at least move up in the league tables in a way. But, um, but I just don't think it's likely. Yeah, no, I think I, I quite agree. Well, there we go. I think we'll, we'll have to leave it at that. And uh, Megan, thank you so much for your time. It's, uh, it's greatly appreciated. And uh, we'll, we'll hope to hear from you again at some point in the, in the coming months and quarters. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. Cheers.